from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. Thanks for joining us wherever you are. Uh, remember I once said somebody was probably in the shower listening to us? Yes. I bet yes. somebody's in a boat right now <laughs> listening to us. A boat. Yeah. Like on a cruise or just a no, fishing like, boat? like or? a fishing boat or a, yeah, some kind of family boat. Okay. That's what I'm seeing. Okay. I don't know why. It just kind of <laughs> popped into my brain. All right. Weird you things. boater, thanks for listening. <laughs> Weird things pop into my brain. <laughs> but I, I bet you somebody's going to come up to you. I was the guy in the boat. <laughs> that could be. Wendy, tell everybody. The crazy thing that happened? The astounding thing that okay. happened to you. Okay. This is crazy. Okay, so. It didn't happen to you. It happened to your genes. Right. <laughs> Everybody's I out there, there wondering, what? Yes. So we've lived in our house for 20 years, and ample opportunity for this to have happened before, but this was crazy. This is what happened. I'm getting ready to get dressed. And this my, was just yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah. My, my jeans. Crazy. My jeans are sitting on a countertop by our bathroom sink, and I look at them, and it's, it looks like something is sort of rising out of them and curling through the air. The sun was coming through the window, and it sort of looked like dust, or but it was sort of crazy looking. I was like perplexed looking at what is, you know, you, you can see dust in a sunbeam, but this was moving and curling around, and I thought, what could be coming out of my clothes and causing that? And I went closer and when I looked, I saw it was smoke because sun was reflecting off a mirror onto my jeans and had burned a hole in them. I, 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 I still, I mean, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw the burn hole. Yeah. With my own, I wasn't there when it happened, but I saw the evidence that this happened and we recreated it this morning. Right. We have this little hand, well, it's not a hand mirror. It's, what do you call yeah, that yeah, thing? Like, I don't know, like a little... A small mirror. Small mirror on a stand, you yeah. know, that you move around. It can, it's mobile. And it was just lined up perfectly with the sun coming through the window at the right time of the morning to make that magnification that can, you know, start a fire. <laughs> it was so crazy. Our house could have burnt down. Uh, yeah, if we hadn't, if I hadn't, if you hadn't seen that. Yeah. I mean, it didn't have flames, but no, I but don't it, know. I mean, eventually, the, your Maybe jeans could have caught fire. <laughs> no, it was. So it we was... recreated it this morning with a. I just put an envelope that had a wax seal yeah. on it, and I put that little wax seal right in that hot spot, hot spot where the sun came in and hit the mirror and bounced off. And sure enough, that the wax melted. Yes, yeah, so we re we recreated it with that wax thing and. In comes the sun and hits the mirror and bounces off, and the wax starts heating up. It's crazy. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. It reminds me of an episode of Little House on the Prairie. Really? Yeah. When Mary fell into a ditch, there had been some wagon accident, and she had to go get help because her husband, Adam, was trapped under the oh my. the wagon. And she's blind, of course, in Little House on the Prairie. And she falls into this ditch. And um, I don't know why she had glasses if she was blind. But there were, maybe she wasn't blind yet. <laughs> no, she was blind. Why did she have glasses? Anyway, there were glasses in her pocket that fell out and caught 
uh, this whole sun thing through the lens of her glasses caused a fire. And that's how Charles Ingalls found her, her dad. And I'm sure there's somebody out there. I'm, I'm telling this from the 1970s or early 80s. And somebody out there says, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so let yeah, us know I if you remember, remember that. that Do you remember that episode? Kind of. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Uh, Institute stuff. Right. Yes, I just want to give a shout out. Thank you to everybody who has contributed to our sterilization reversal fund. We are $98,000 short (laughs) of what we need to raise if we are to meet the demand. In fact, it keeps going up. We're going to have to do something. I don't know what we're going to have to do if we're going to meet the demand. But it's a great problem to have. There are people out there who want to get their sterilizations reversed. Thanks be to God. Mm. If you would be willing, everybody, to contribute. Uh, I, I bet if everybody who listens to our podcast contributed just a little bit, we would meet our goal and exceed our goal, and we would be able to help a lot of couples who, who want to rectify the wrong they've done. And who knows uh, if these operations are successful. There's not a 100% guarantee, but we could be collectively, as, as people who've contributed to this fund, we could be helping to bring new life into the world. What, what better thing could we imagine than that? So there's a link in the show notes below. Um, I, I announced this on Pints with Aquinas a couple months ago. I was on his show, Matt Frad's show, and, and I said, hey, if you don't have the money for the reversal, don't let that be an obstacle. I'll do whatever I can to help raise the money. So we now have this wonderful problem of needing to raise money. So if you'd click that link and just donate what you're able so we can keep raising these funds, I'd be so grateful. And um, we have a whole slate of courses, both online and in person. Check out that link. We have great courses online. And this summer, the in-person courses will be TOB1 that I will be teaching the third week of June. That's a five-day immersion. And then Catholic Sexual Ethics, which Father Koopman will be teaching. He is a superb professor, um, very, very knowledgeable. I sat through his class twice already. He's really, really good. Um, That's in July. And then I will be teaching TOB2 the final week of July into the first week of August, another five-day immersion. So check out the links there. And I just also want to mention our two pilgrimages one in July, one in September. In July, Bill Dunahy is leading a Tolkien and C.S. Lewis-themed pilgrimage to the UK. And in September, I will be leading a Theology of the Body-themed pilgrimage to Rome. Mm. So, and Assisi. Yes. And Venice. And some other places will be going in Italy. Uh, if you want to take the extension. So you can check all that out in the show notes. Awesome. Are you ready for a question from a patron? Let's do it. Okay. This is from a patron named Father Daniel. Father Daniel, thank you so much for your monthly support of our ministry. We cannot do it without people like you. I hope you are taking advantage of all the benefits we offer our patrons, all the exclusive formation. If you haven't gone to the website for patrons for a while, check it out. We're, we're putting new things up there for patrons all the time. Thank you so much, Father. I started engaging with Theology of the Body 
thanks to the lockdown's extra time. I watched videos, heard your podcast, read the catechesis, took courses. Wow. I still do, but after several years, it's difficult to hold on, like a deflating balloon. Mm. Such thoughts come like, isn't it too complicated? This situation is already so tangled. Where do I start? Did you have a similar experience? Please, give me a push. Oh, Father Daniel, thank you. Uh, that's, that's a very honest and, and very, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of endeared to his desire there for a little help. And it, it, it can feel, you know, the Christian life itself, which is what the theology of the body illuminates, because the whole of our Christian life is an entering into the mystery of Christ's body given up for us. God took on flesh, theology of the body. This is Christianity itself. And that can seem sometimes really burdensome. The, the mountain can be really high and really steep, and there are some really rugged passes that we have to make as we ascend this mountain. And yet there's the delightful paradox. Uh, I think it's fitting to call it a paradox because no one, no one would say Jesus' cross was light because he had the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders. And yet, the paradox, he says, take up your cross and follow me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I found, Father Daniel, that things get heavy when I resist the weight of them. But when I accept the heaviness of it, that's when I enter into the delightful paradox uh, I'm, I'm carrying a particular heavy burden right now with some personal struggles, and, and I've just been wrestling in my prayer each morning, just trying to open up my suffering to the Lord and the struggle of it all. And I didn't share this with you, Wendy, but just this morning, the movie Groundhog Day really, really ministered to me. Hmm. I had this scene from Groundhog Day come to me of Bill Murray uh, his character, Phil Connors, um, he's predicting this bleak, gray, long winter. And his face is just like, you want a weather prediction? I'll give you a prediction. Oh, it's no. going to be gray, it's going to be cold, and it's going to last for the rest of your life. Speaking of winter, and winter is the, the big metaphor in this Groundhog Day movie. But then he has this conversion of his heart. He learns to serve others. And later in the movie, he says, um, so he quotes some poet who says, winter is, is, uh, can be bleak and long, but it also is the promise that spring is on the way. And surrounded by the people of Puxatawney and their warm hearts and hearths, I can't think of a better prediction than a long and lustrous winter. And it's just, it's this acceptance that winter leads to spring yeah. and it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. So Father Daniel, uh, that's more of a, a broad statement about the Christian life and the struggles we go through. Uh, you are asking specifically about encouragement and a little push to keep going and studying theology of the body and entering in more deeply. Now I, I'm unique in that I've given my life to the study of this text and yeah, I, re I remember when I was first reading it, when I was first getting introduced to these themes, it was blowing my mind, 
and I saw this path opening up to me. It was exciting, but also daunting. And we do need, need those moments of encouragement. We do need those times of, of those around us we trust to, to give us a little push. And I will say this to you, Father. Giving your life, even if it's just, I don't know, what's your daily prayer like? Can you incorporate spiritual reading? I imagine you already do, but can your spiritual reading be, for an extended season, a real immersion in the theology of the body? Have you read my new book called Eating the Sunrise, Meditations on the Liturgy and Our Hunger for Beauty? This is an especially fruitful read for priests. Can you make that 20 minutes of your day reading through that? Can you go from that to maybe it's time, maybe you're ready since you've already read the catechesis itself. Good on you, by the way, Father Daniel. That's not an easy task. Maybe you're ready for Theology of the Body Explained. That could take you to a new level of understanding. Then maybe you'd be ready for uh, a book I wrote called At the Heart of the Gospel. Um, make 20 minutes a day of spiritual reading a commitment, and I promise you, Father, it will repay your efforts a hundred, a thousand, a million fold. As one who's given his life to this for the last 30 plus years, I, I I can I can say the more you put in, the more reward you get, and the mystery never ends. I mean that's the nature of a mystery. There's always more to learn, always more to discover, and I would say that this latest book that I've written, called Eating the Sunrise, is I couldn't have written this book even ten years ago uh, because this is a meditation on where I've come in 30 years of reflecting on this. And I, I hope you'll find it fruitful and, and maybe even inspiring to say, okay, if that's the fruit that can come, I'm going to keep going. Mm. Two things are standing out to me. First of all, it's wonderful for our listeners who might be surprised that a priest is asking for um, encouragement just to take a pause and realize the humanity of priests, that they are just... They are people like us on a journey, and uh, just to be inspired to pray for priests and pray for Father Daniel, but pray for all priests, and have um, just an openness to that in your prayer, you recognize these are men who need to take the next step with the Lord in their lives, just like you and I do, just like those of us who are not priests need to do. Um, and I, I also want to say to Father Daniel— just something that was striking me were the thoughts that he shared about um, it's too complicated, everything is so tangled, that I could imagine that he's kind of saying that in relation to ministry as a priest, like, and looking at the culture and how maybe far the people he's ministering to are from um where he knows they could be, but how do we get from here to there? Yeah. Kind of a feeling of complexity and entangledness. Where do I begin? Um, but Father, I also feel like sometimes I've experienced where I'm, I'm feeling something about a situation out there, and the Lord wants to whisper to my heart, "That's in you too." Mm. That the the feeling of where do I begin? It's tangled. 
could be that the Lord is wanting to have you look at something in your own life that is related to what you've learned in Theology of the Body, and and it feels hard to begin that task. So I just want to encourage you to try to listen to the Lord's response to those questions, not only in terms of your ministry to others, but in terms of being open to His ministry to you. Wendy, I am so glad you brought that up, because I was I was feeling the same thing as you started to share your reflection there. I was like, maybe that tangled mess he's talking about has to do also with his own interior, and maybe that's kind of the, the mountain that seems hard to summit. The real juice, the real nectar of theology of the body in my life has been applying it to the interior journey. I was talking earlier about making it part of your spiritual reading, but it's not just an academic exercise. It's not just about study in the head. It's about letting these truths inform and transform us interiorly. What we get through John Paul's vision is the the key that opens the wine cellar to the Song of Songs. Mm. What is the Song of Songs? It's the great invitation to journey into spousal intimacy with the living God. And that means the interior journey. That means going through painful purifications. John Paul II says that this journey leads through the dark nights, the painful purifications that the saints speak of, but it leads to the ineffable joy of what the saints and mystics call nuptial union with love eternal. And I'd encourage you, Father, as a patron, you have access to the retreats that we've done exclusively for our patrons. We've done one with Father Timothy Gallagher, where we wed theology of the body with the interior journey that we gain with the help of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the spiritual exercises. I would definitely check that out. We've done a retreat exclusively for our patrons with uh, Dr. Bob Schutz, who founded the John Paul II Healing Center in Florida. Then we did another one with the Desert Stream Ministries team on sexual healing and integration. Please, please, Father Daniel, and all the patrons out there listening, please take advantage of those retreats if you haven't already. That will show you the link between theology of the body and the interior journey. And that's where we bear the most fruit in our lives. That's where we see the real fruit of the theology of the body, not just as an academic exercise, but as a a map for the interior journey to that spousal intimacy with love eternal. Mm. Amen. Amen, indeed. Our next question is from Jay. Hi, Jay. My wife and I are newlyweds. We're currently faced with a difficult situation regarding conception due to her daily medication, which is contraindicated in pregnancy. We both would love to have children, but our current situation forces us to avoid conception as pregnancy would put her health and any potential pregnancy at risk. We know what the church teaches about sex, marriage, and always being open to new life when engaging in the marital act, and we take this teaching seriously. We're still learning about NFP and charting, but currently we are both feeling stuck and frustrated. My wife has almost no desire to be intimate out of fear that if she were to conceive, there would be serious and immediate medical complications. 
In turn, her lack of desire leaves me feeling insecure and concerned about future intimacy. There is an option to have a surgical procedure that will get her off the medication she's on, but the surgery itself is not without its own risks. Are we morally obligated to have the surgery if it could mean enabling us to be truly open to life within our marriage? It's so hard to know where God is leading us and what step to take. We've prayed daily for healing for years, but things have gotten worse. We both feel totally abandoned by God at this point, and it's just the beginning of our marriage. Bless you, brother. I thank you for putting this question to us, and as I will often do, I just want to reverence your your sorrow, that cry of your heart, that feeling of abandonment. There is this great mystery that our abandonment, our feeling of abandonment, paradoxically unites us all the more intimately with Christ in his cry on the cross. My God, my God, why, why, why have you abandoned me? What a, what a crazy and strange and mysterious paradox that in our very feeling abandoned, that feeling of abandonment itself is a deep intimacy with Jesus in his feeling of abandonment. If, if Jesus is God and God is willing to be with us in that cry of abandonment, then in the very reality of feeling abandoned, paradoxically, we are deeply united with the living God in his cry of abandonment. So, Lord, I, I ask that in this genuine very real cry of abandonment that you would make yourself known to Jay and to Jay's wife in this very real suffering. Now, brother, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of this particular malady from which your wife is suffering, uh, but from what you've described, unless there's information I, I don't have that, that if I did have, might change my answer. Um, from what you are describing, you are not morally obligated to pursue this surgery. I think it could be beneficial, but as you said, there are risks involved. I don't know what those risks are, so I can't advise you there. Um, it's a very difficult situation that you're you're outlining, and I wish I could say there was some magical solution that would make the suffering go away. There's a lesson in married life that is very, very difficult to learn, and no marriage is exempt from learning it. Uh, I don't believe anybody who says they've not had some cross, some suffering to carry in their marriage. If, if, if anyone would claim that, I I would say you're numb. You've numbed yourself. You're not dealing with reality. It's a crazy, painful, even disturbing reality that we tend not to pay much attention to, but I would invite you to reflect on this, that you exchanged your wedding vows at an altar of sacrifice under a crucifix, which is the marriage bed of Christ the bridegroom a bed of suffering. 
and you and your dear wife are on that bed of suffering with the Lord. But it is a marriage bed. It, you, your marriage bed at this stage of your marriage is this bed of suffering. And we can trust this is, this is the promise. And I'm banking on it because I, I need to believe it too. That the joy of married life, I'm sure you were filled with joy when you gave yourself to your bride on your wedding day. The joy of married life leads to sorrow. And that sorrow, this is the promise, leads to glory. And that is the light that illuminates the path of the Christian journey. And those who are, are astute in, in what I just said, you'll, you'll notice the mysteries of the rosary here, right? The joy leads to sorrow, leads to glory, and this is the light that illuminates our path. The joyful mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, the glorious mysteries, the luminous mysteries, right? This is the Christian journey. And God in his love for us knows the only way for us to reach the glory we desire is through the sorrow of the cross. That is a hard, hard teaching. And I rebel against it all the time. I fight it. I don't like it. I'm looking for ways out of it. Um, and we're not masochists. We don't look for suffering for suffering's sake. But suffering seeks us out and finds us. So, Jay, if there is a surgery, it sounds like there is, that your wife could have, that would mean she would be able to get off this medication and you would be able to come together as, as husband and wife with, without that fear, if it is at all possible to pursue that, I would say, go for it. Uh, you indicated there are some risks there, and again, I don't know what they are, so I, I can't counsel you. Um, but I do, I do know when we are in this situation where the cross is very evident, just beware of those voices that can sound very sweet that are uh, the invitation to get off the cross. What did Jesus say to Peter when Peter said, you don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. The glory you and your wife desire, Jay, will come in and through this cross that the Lord is allowing in your marriage. Take advantage of all moral and licit means of relieving yourself of this suffering. If there are reasons not to have this surgery and it ends up being that you carry this suffering, maybe even indefinitely, we can trust. We can. Tr this is, man, it's a hard teaching. Even to say it, I find myself stumbling. The glory we desire is on the other side of the sorrow of the cross. And the crosses the Lord allows in our lives are only with the promise of an ever greater glory on the other side. Lord, please, please, for Jay and his dear wife's sake, give them the hope of that glory. Give them the, the, the steadfast faith in your promise. One of the things I noted that Jay said was that we, would, we both would love to have children. And I think that is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And to realize that 
that the Lord actually hasn't abandoned you. Uh, in but He planted that desire in your hearts to live your life together as husband and wife with children. Like that's the Lord's gift to you to orient your marriage. And I think it's really, you know, when you're kind of dealing with a, a puzzle that feels like it's getting less and less solved, you can say, well, where is God? And yet I feel like there's just this beautiful beam of light mm. in your relationship that you might just be tossing aside like, oh, well, that's a given. Of course we want kids. No, that's not a given. That's a gift. That's a gift that the Lord is giving you to have that deep desire in your hearts. In the fact that they're committed to the church's teaching here, that is a grace. Yes. That is a tremendous gift from the Lord. Absolutely. Um, I think another thing that struck me was about the, the challenge of learning NFP. So I really do want to encourage you. I often say this because I believe it. Don't just go it yourself. The experience of of communicating with a teacher, even if it's remotely over the phone or email or something, that is a beautiful help. And I want you to know something, listeners. Christopher and I both had training as NFP teachers, and yet I reached out to NFP teachers. We did at yes. different times in our married life to ask about specific things in our chart that were confusing to us. So the needing of an expert to weigh in on what you're observing is not strange. I mean, we didn't just take NFP classes. We taught them. Yeah. And yet we needed we to still consult needed others. Help. And it, yeah, the, even the experts need experts. Right. And so, Jay, I just want you to know that that, that will help you. That outside um, just feedback on what you're learning about your wife's cycles is really going to help you when you seek that out. It will bless you. I also think it would be so helpful for you to, to have a conversation about this insecurity related to a lack of desire, which I don't think is a true lack of desire. It's this intervening fear that kind of overwhelms the desire. Um, but I think if if she is dealing with all these questions, will I ever be a mother? Will I ever understand NFP? Should I have surgery? And and on top of it, there's this feeling of, and and I'm making my husband suffer and he feels insecure. It's like, it's almost too much. Like you both need to know she has desire. It's not a lack of desire. It's needing both of you to be on the team that recognizes we desire one another and we need to learn how to understand our bodies in order to know when we can come together and to learn to rejoice in that. There are times when there's an anxiety there that can kind of hinder a couple from truly rejoicing in the opportunity to make use of the infertile time. We've even experienced that. And yet, when we've pressed through that anxiety, oh, the greater joy to experience that grace and know that the Lord is providing for all that we need. So those are, I hope those are helpful thoughts. I want to share one more lesson with Jay before we go on to our next question. And I'm so glad you addressed that 
issue of insecurity. I had forgotten that part of the question. Uh, Jay, my dear brother, every every husband goes through seasons in a marriage where he's wondering, am I desirable? Does my wife really want to be one with me in our marriage bed? Am I lovable? Uh, am I beautiful? Am I desirable? Am I, is my body wanted? And not just my body, but my whole body person, body and soul. And in that place where we get insecure and fearful and wonder, am I really loved? Am I really desired? We're also tapping a much deeper yearning in our hearts. It's a yearning for a perfect love. It's a yearning for a perfect affirmation. It's a yearning to, to, to know and be known perfectly. And no mere earthly relationship can answer all those questions and insecurities. When do you love me very well, but you know you don't love me perfectly. That's true. And I have needed, uh, just as you have needed, you need to go to your true bridegroom, Jesus Christ, for that perfect love that you rightly long for that I can't possibly give you. And there's a counterpoint for men here too. There is a perfect woman who's on the other side, body and soul, who can love us and does love us perfectly. And we can take those fears and insecurities and issues and struggles and desires to her. She's the new Eve. She's the most beautiful woman God has ever created. And Jay, she desires you, my brother. She is after your heart, and she wants you to open your heart to her. And that will, learning that path of, of genuine devotion to the new Eve for a husband and learning the path of, of genuine devotion to the new Adam for the wife will take a tremendous burden off your marriage because we do have these needs that the other can't meet because we're broken and we live in a broken world. And those needs are, are do, they're still there for perfect love and perfect affirmation and perfect desire and all that stuff. We have to learn how to take those heavenward. And we can do that now through the journey of prayer. Uh, I'd invite you to consider, Jay, taking, you could take the online version. We'll be offering it uh, probably sometime next year, the Marian Mystery Course. I'd encourage you just to type in Christopher West and Mary. Uh, I've done a lot of videos on YouTube. If you type that in, you'll find some of my reflections on the Blessed Mother and what it means to have an authentic devotion to the Blessed Mother. I think, Jay, you'll find that really, really helpful. Bless you, brother. This question is from a listener named Michelle. Hi, Michelle. I'm a young Christian woman who's dealing with undiagnosed body dysmorphia. I'm considered barely attractive by other people, but when I look in the mirror, I see a very ugly person. This became worse after being compared to other more beautiful women in my previous dating relationship. For the past few months, I've been feeling inadequate, considering that there's an immense amount of pressure for ladies to be as attractive as they 
possibly can from everyone around them. It's frightening. I feel like a part of my self-esteem and peace has been taken away from me that I can't restore. I just want to know how to combat this challenge through Jesus and how I can be set free. My dear sister Michelle, bless you, bless you. Thank you for entrusting this very painful question to us. I happen to know that the the meaning of the name Michelle, it's the feminine form of Michael, which means who is like God? Well, Michelle, you are. You are like God. You are made in the image and likeness of God. And that God took on flesh. And there's this line from the Old Testament. Actually, two scriptures are coming to mind from the Old Testament, Michelle. The first one is from 1 Samuel. I looked it up here. It's 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, where we read, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord sees the heart. That is so important, not only for those who don't meet the standards of a culture obsessed with physical beauty, but that scripture is also really important for those who are closer to that standard of physical beauty, because either way, placing such emphasis on physical appearance does a terrible injustice to the person. And placing that gross imbalance on physical appearance that our culture is just obsessed with, it obscures the true beauty of the person. Uh, Again, whether one meets that standard or is close to that standard or is far away from that standard. And the other scripture that comes to my mind, which again helps me to understand your name, Michelle, one who is like God or who is like God. You are, Michelle. You are like God. You are made in the image and likeness of God. That God who took on flesh and in his flesh bore the burdens and sins of the world, absorbed all the ugliness of the world to the point that we read in Scripture, there was nothing in his appearance to draw us to him. There was nothing in his appearance to draw us to him. In a world that so overemphasizes physical appearance, when we don't meet that standard, we can feel unseen, unknown, uh, unacknowledged. We can be, feel like we're treated as a, a, a thing to be discarded. Christ felt all of that. And Christ is God. Who is like God? Michelle, you, you are united with the Lord in that sorrow. For what end? To what end? To be raised in glory. As we were saying earlier in answer to an earlier question, the sorrow leads to glory. This is the promise, Michelle, and I cannot wait for its fulfillment. When all the world 
will see the glory of the Lord shining through your glorified body. Our world, right? The world we live in now, this fallen world, this broken world, this blind world, it is cruel. And the suffering that this world dishes out is very, very real. There is one who sees you, Michelle. He is your true bridegroom. There is one who knows you, Michelle. He's your true bridegroom. There's one who loves you, Michelle, your true bridegroom. And there's one who absorbed all the insults that have been hurled on you so that you can know who you really are. There is one who has absorbed all the ugliness of this broken, fallen world so that you, Michelle, one who is like God in his sorrow and suffering, can also be like God in his glory and in the revelation of his resurrected humanity. Uh, This is not just pious religious musings. These are the promises of the living God. He took on all the ugliness of sin so that his bride might be without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any body dysmorphia whatsoever, so that she could be radiant and beautiful. This is the promise of the living God. Uh, we, we bear the sorrow in this life, but that sorrow, if we are willing to die with him, if we are willing to bear his sufferings with him, we will also be raised with him and bear his glory. And we can say with St. Paul, I consider my sufferings as nothing compared to the glory to be revealed. Oh, what a turn of events we will all witness in the other world when the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Michelle, who is like God? You are. And what is God like? God is beauty. And he is working that plan out in you in a way that eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has ready for you my dear sister. That is our hope. That's the hope of of the Christian life. That's the hope of your baptism. Uh, Open those wounds, Michelle, to the bridegroom who truly sees you Mm -hmm. and truly knows you. Open those pains. Open every insult you've ever felt. Open the very feeling you have when you look in the mirror. Ask the Lord to show you how he sees you. It's the only way. It's the only way out of that kind of pain. A hard-earned lesson for me has been to recognize that those who say those things, those you're not as attractive as you should be or as other people are, they're the ones believing a lie. And to agree with them is to agree with lies. So... I know that it is frightening what you've experienced. I think when you say that, you're, you may be referencing the sense of almost like a, a wounded soldier who's needing medical attention in order to get back up. You know, and it's scary. Is that attention coming? So I, I'm so glad you asked this question, and I hope you've felt in all that Christopher was saying already, the Lord coming to you with truth, because the wound is from lie, from lies, 
The healing is from the truth. And it's not a once-and-done thing. I heard that on the podcast, Now I'm Healed. It's it's for deep reflection. And, and I found myself praying for you, Michelle, in reference to a few of the mysteries of the rosary. So I I hope this is helpful to you or to other listeners. Um, the The mysteries that were coming to me for you were the Annunciation, uh, the Visitation, and the Crowning of Mary. Mm, mm. And I think they're all such powerful moments of Mary ever more deeply experiencing how precious she is to the Lord. You know, mm. she's she's kind of afraid of it at first when the angel comes in the Annunciation, but but it's it's filled her up so much by the time of the visitation that she can say, he raises up the lowly. Like, I love him. <laughs> you know, he loves me and I love him is kind of, you know, all in that exchange she has at the visitation. And then when I think of her receiving her crown from Jesus and that it would be a joy for her to put that crown on. Like, remember when we were little girls and we just would put a princess crown on and kind of dance in front of a mirror, like in a, a fully mature and deep and profound way, Mary felt joy to be crowned. And and I, I just encourage you, if if those mysteries speak to your heart in your prayer, to, to journey with Mary through that revelation of God's love for her and how God saw her beauty that that would speak also to your heart, Michelle. I want to confess here that, Wendy, when you're speaking of these lies, people who've believed these lies, you know this because you know me and you know what we've been through in our marriage. I've believed those lies. And, Wendy, your rebuking those lies has put me on a path to new freedom for which I am so, so grateful. Mm. Yes, thank you, Lord. Because uh, those, li- those lies are, man, I was almost about to drop an F-bomb because I get so so uh, zealous here because I, those lies have crippled me. Those lies, lies have blinded me. Those lies have wounded me so terribly and caused me to wound others including you, my dear wife, very painfully. And I, I, getting a glimpse of how those lies have choked the life out of me, uh, I get that zeal of those flippity-flappin', flippity-flippity-flippity-flip lies that come from hell uh, that, that get us to, to really hate our bodies and hate the bodies of others. Uh, that's ex- that's the end game of the enemy right there, to get us to hate our bodies as much as he does. Satan fell out of envy. What do we have that he doesn't have? We have bodies. Uh, what will happen in the final reality? Our bodies will do something that the angels can't possibly do. Our bo- We will have a bodily participation in the life of the Trinity. Angels can't do that, and they're envious. The fallen angels are envious. The holy angels are in awe of our bodies. So, Michelle, invite your guardian angel. Ask your guardian angel, what do you think of my body? 
Your guardian angel is in absolute awe of your body. Fallen angels, the demons, are in envy, and they want you to hate your body as much as they do. Rebuke those lies. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke those lies right now. Those lies that have been attacking, attacking our sister Michelle. In the name of Jesus, we silence them, we bind them, and we send them to the foot of the cross for you to deal with them, Jesus, and to send them to hell. And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, if you know somebody who needs to hear what you've heard today in our podcast, could you please push that share button? Push it? Do you push a button? You don't push it. <laughs> push it. Push it We real usually good. say tap. 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 Mm-hmm. Click it, tap it, whatever mm-hmm. you do. Push, click, tap that button and, and help us get this message out to other people. We'd be so grateful. And... Uh, A reminder to keep the questions coming. Patrons, a reminder to you to submit your questions on the patron website so that you get the priority that we give our patrons in answering your questions. And until next time, may each of you, our dear listeners, in all of your struggles, questions, issues, pains, hopes, joys, may you know that you are a beautiful gift. How do I know this? How do I know you're a beautiful gift? Because you exist. You are wanted. You are chosen. You are desired by the Lord to live as the gift. Wendy, I'm taking your line away. (laughs) It's okay. Go for it. (laughs) Become the gift that you are. That's right. That's right. Amen. Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.